Well, good morning. It's so good to share God's Word with you this morning. If you would, open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, we're going to pick up where we left off a couple weeks ago. If you're joining with us on campus and you do not have a copy of God's Word, I would encourage you to look in the seat in front of you or underneath the seat that you're sitting in. There should be a blue Bible there. I would encourage you to take that Bible, open up to page 1078. uh, 1078. Before we do, uh, let us open up in prayer. Lord, we are so thankful to be here this morning. Uh, Lord, we do praise you and thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, we are thankful Uh, for the faithfulness of God our Father, who is good, always good. Lord, we are thankful for God the Son, who is always loving. And Lord, we are thankful for God the Holy Spirit, who gives us desire and power and life transformation. And so, Lord, we praise you, we thank you, we thank you in advance for what you're going to teach us in your word. But Lord, I pray that uh, we don't come to your word simply to uh, gain truth and knowledge, which, yes, that is important. But Lord, let it be uh, just consistent, application to our lives. Lord, so teach us what you want us to know today. And Lord, through your spirit, give us desire to live in that truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We are getting towards the tail end of our study uh, in the book of Galatians. I think uh, today is actually our 22nd message uh, in this particular book. Uh, Lord willing, we have uh, about two more weeks and then we'll finish off. Uh, but this, the book of Galatians has been a tremendous study uh, for me. I hope it's been impactful for you as well. And uh, just to be reminded of just God's amazing grace in this particular book, uh, really the gospel of grace and, and how uh, more than likely this was the first uh, writing that the Apostle Paul had uh, in the New Testament somewhere around AD, uh, or 48 AD. Uh, and this would have been uh, important because this is setting the stage for uh, right understanding about the gospel and, and right application about the gospel in the early church. If we go back to Acts 15, that first uh, council that was happening in Jerusalem to set uh, really uh, concrete uh, what does it take to be right with God and what does it take to remain right with God. In other words, the, the word would be justification and, and unequivocally. It's, it's by grace through faith, right? You put your faith in Jesus Christ. That is how you are justified and that is how you remain justified before God. You put your faith in Christ. And, and so what Paul has done in chapters 1 through 4 is really given us doctrinal truth based on justification. And then what happens in chapters 5 and 6 is, now how does that work out in life? In other words, God did not just uh, save us to bring us uh, knowledge and forgiveness of sin, right? He gave us the the gospel to, yes, do that, to give us forgiveness of sin, but to bring about life transformation. In other words, how do we walk faithfully in who we are in Christ? And what happens in Galatians chapter 5 is we begin to encounter the the beauty of freedom, the freedom that we have in Christ. In other words, everything that has been written in chapters 1 through 4 is leveraging to the freedom that we have in Christ and then what that freedom looks like. And what we know is that in order to live in the freedom that Christ has for us, we need to be led by the Spirit, not by the flesh. In fact, so much so that the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 5 that we need to understand as brothers and sisters in Christ that that there is is a, a battle, if you will. There is a civil war that is happening in your heart every day. It's, it's between the, the works of the flesh, the, the remnant of the sin that is still in us. In other words, yes, the, the penalty of sin has been removed because of the work of Christ. The power of sin has been removed because of the work of Christ. In other words, we have a new master now. We have a new leader, a new king. But the remnant of sin, the very presence of sin has not been totally eradicated in your life and my life. That day will come, right? When we meet Jesus face to face, that day will come. And so there is a civil war that is happening. And so between uh, the works of the flesh and the desire of the Spirit. So in order to live in the freedom that Christ has for us, we need to be led by the Spirit. And by God's gracious hand in the Apostle Paul's life, we get these dashboard signs, right? These warning lights that happen, that happen even in our cars, right? Check engine, right? So we have these in our life. How do we know if we're living by the flesh or living, being led by the Spirit? And so some of those dashboard signs would be uh, sexual immorality, envy, strife, uh, fits of anger, uh, self-indulgence. Uh, a lot of times that can be in substance abuse and even in food and different things. And so those are the, those are the indicators 
that, that are glaring to us to say, hey, you're living in the works of the flesh, not being led by the Spirit. But then, the gospel doesn't leave us there. It teaches us what it looks like to be led by the Spirit. It's the fruit of Christ in us, right? It's the work of Christ in us. And what is that fruit? Again, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So the fruit of the Spirit is evident, not because we're producing it, but because we are submitting our lives to the leading of the Holy Spirit, the work of Christ that is being done in us is being revealed on the outside, right? And then what happens in Galatians chapter 6, and this is really a two-part message about verses 1 through 10, we'll look at verses 1 through 5 this morning, is what does uh, spiritual-led people look like within the body of Christ, the community of faith? What does that look like? And so Paul is going to begin addressing this in verses 1 through 5. So let's read the passage together. Uh, The scripture says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. And so it's in those first five verses that we see uh, what uh, gospel community looks like, spirit-led gospel community looks like. There's actually three commands in this particular passage, and we're going to look at uh, each of those commands this morning. In other words, when we're living led by the Spirit, what is the expression of that? What does that look like within the body of Christ? Christ. So we've gone from like the individuality part, which Westerner, Western civilization is great with, right? But now we're looking at what does that mean to the full body of Christ? We are a faith family. So what does that look like? The first thing uh, that we see in this particular passage in verse 1 is that we are in humility, and that's key, in humility, uh, we are to help restore one another. Help restore one another. So there's going to be a theme that rides all the way through these three commands. I hope you pick it up because it's going to be very, very helpful for us at the end there. In humility, help restore one another. We see this in verse 1. So let's read the verse 1 one more time, then we'll unpack it. Uh, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So uh, we need to understand and notice the context of this restoration. What does he say in the first part of verse 1? He says, brothers. That is a huge, huge truth. The idea of brothers or sisters is the fact that we are what? We are a faith family. We are spiritual brothers and sisters in Christ, right? We have been, as Galatians 4 has reminded us, we have been adopted into the family of God. And one of the things that brings me great joy as not just a pastor, but a brother in Christ, is when I hear other people use similar language. In fact, last Sunday, when we had that amazing opportunity to worship together in the Lord's Supper and how the students led us in that worship, and we we just had that amazing time of fellowship, there was two men during one of the, in between the services, that one of the guys went up to him and gave him a hug and said, man, hey brother, how you doing? I know they're not related, right? It's clear, they're not related, but guess what? They're spiritually related, right? And, And we have to understand that the, our, our greatest connection in life is not with our, the families that we're so accustomed to. We'll call them biological families, which is not always the right word. It's our spiritual family. It's those who are like-minded in their faith. We have the same king, right? We have the same Holy Spirit. We have the same son, right? We're, we have one baptism, right? That's what the scripture teaches us in Ephesians uh, chapter 3 and 4. And so the reality is that we are a spiritual family, therefore we have a responsibility to one another. And th- this reminds me of a, a, something that happened in Genesis 4. In Genesis 4, we have, remember, sin enters the world in Genesis 3. Uh, Adam and Eve have uh, some boys, right? And then in Genesis 4, we have uh, really uh, kind of that first uh, sin that happened that we're aware of, that first sin that happens in that family uh, when Cain kills Abel. And remember the dialogue right after uh, Cain killed Abel, uh, God goes to him and he says in Genesis 4, 9, he says, then the Lord said to Cain, where's Abel, your brother? Now, we know God knew where he was at, right? He was no longer living, right? We know that. But, but God is getting to the heart. 
And, and what does Cain say? He says, I do not know. Am I what? Am I my brother's keeper? So God exposes the sin in Cain's heart. Not only are you responsible for your brother's life, you are also responsible for your brother's death. And so when we think about this, the, the answer is yes. When we think about our faith family, that question is proposed, am I my brother's keeper or sister's keeper? What is the answer? The answer is 100% yes. We are our brother's and sister's keeper. This means that we are to come alongside them and to help guard them, watch over them, care for one another. From a parenting perspective or a grandparent perspective, that's exactly what we do, right? We watch, sometimes we hover too much, right? But the reality is we don't want anything bad to happen to them. We want to guide them. We want to protect them. We want to shepherd them. And so this is, in a greater sense, this is the same call that we have on our lives as brothers and sisters in Christ. And notice the issue. Just like any good family, right? Issues come up. Do you realize that today? Some of y'all, I mean, Thanksgiving's coming, Christmas is coming. For most, it's, it's a good time, but for many, it's not. Why? Because you guys spend time with family, right? And sometimes that could be really, really, really hard. Uh, but notice that there's an issue that arises in this faith family. Uh, second part of verse 1, it says, If anyone is caught in any transgression. That idea of transgression, sin, you've crossed over the line, right? God has given us gracious boundaries and guardrails, and uh, it has been crossed over. And, and I love the fact that it says, if anyone, doesn't matter who you are, if anyone, and it doesn't matter what the transgression is, right? If any transgression, and the scripture says that, that you're caught in a transgression. Now, that's an interesting word, that you're caught. Now, that can mean, uh, there's debate on what that can mean. Two different things. One is, uh, you were actually caught in the act of that sin. Uh, we see some implication of that in John chapter 8. Remember in John chapter 8, uh, the, the woman who was caught in adultery and was brought before Jesus, right? Uh, the other part, too, is, is the word caught here uh, is actually in the passive voice, meaning the other times that we see it throughout the scripture, it's in the active voice, meaning something, uh, something that you were doing, right? But in this translation, or in this part of the scripture, it's, it's in a passive voice. So it, it kind of communicates the idea that something that caught you off guard, right? Something that surprised you. Something that just uh, grabbed you without understanding what was there. Now, it's kind of like driving. Sometimes we drive at night, and I try to tell uh, my oldest daughter, I had a reminder of this uh, Friday night, uh, that when it gets cold out and you're driving down a dark road, guess what's more than likely going to pop out at some point? A deer, right? So you, you keep your buckle on, keep your seatbelt on, because you never know when things are going to happen when you're driving, right? Sometimes it's a cop, and so that's a whole other story. Um, but the point is, the point is, and again, are you 100% responsible for your sin? Yes. Can you blame it on anybody? No. Can circumstances help elevate the opportunity for sin? Absolutely. You're 100% responsible. However, the way that it's uh, communicated to us is that wasn't the original intention. In other words, you think about uh, some of the outworking of sin that happens in our life, I guarantee that many of us would say, I didn't want that to happen. That wasn't what was on my radar 20 years ago when I started having that slow drift away from the Lord. And it's a reminder to all of us that we never drift anywhere worth going, right? One compromise that's un, that is not repented of and not confessed and not uh, given renewed trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ, guess what? Over time, what's going to happen? It's going to lead us to a place that we drifted off. In other words, you can be in your spiritual lane, walking in the lane, remember, led by the Spirit, and then over time, if you're not careful, you can get out of that line, right? And that's kind of the communication that's happening here. Uh, the scripture tells us what our response is. So as a spiritual-led church, right, led by the Spirit, what is our response when our brother or sister is caught in sin? Scripture says in the third part of verse 1, uh, that you who are spiritual should restore him. We're called to do what? We're called to restore our brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is in the active tense, uh, meaning that keep on doing this. This isn't a one-time deal. Keep on restoring your brothers and sisters in Christ. The, the word restore has really uh, two meanings that I think uh, will help us understand. Uh, picture number one would be like resetting a broken bone. And uh, several years ago, our family was on vacation with another family. And well, we went to this jump house place. And 
I'm telling you, this place was immaculate, so clean. I mean, you can tell you're an old parent, and me, that's me, when you're like so impressed with how clean a place is, right? And, and we're just sitting there like, wow, I can't believe this must have just opened. It had been open for like two years. We couldn't believe it. Well, within like a few minutes span, probably 30 minutes, our, our second oldest daughter uh, comes to us and just pale white. And we're trying to figure out what's going on. And she's not telling us what's going on. And so we're like scoping out her body. What's going on here? And then finally my wife lifted up her long sleeve shirt and she, her arm looked like an S, right? At some, she fell and she broke her arm. And so we go to the emergency room. We're in a place that we're not familiar with. GPS first came out, and it had us all over the place. And finally, we get there. Roughly six to eight hours later, she finally gets to see the doctor. And by that time, her adrenaline is released a little bit. Her arm's kind of swollen and takes an x-ray and confirms what we already know. Guess what? The arm's broken. So you have the op- you, here's what you need to do. You need to reset the bone, right? Now, they were going to say, hey, we can uh, you know, give sedator and all that stuff. It, that's not worth it, right? Let's just let's get it done. If you've ever broken a bone before, that's one thing. If you've ever had to reset a bone, that's a whole other thing. I told my wife, get as far down the hallway as you possibly can. And I just, I held my daughter, and I remember crying. Honey, I'm sorry. This is going to hurt, but it has to happen. And within a half a second, that doctor pulled twist, bam, popped that thing in. And about a week and a half later, we had to go back to the orthopedic surgeon here in Charleston, and guess what? It wasn't lined up right. So what, same option. And, and this time it was worse because she knew what was coming, and they had to reset it again. But praise be to God, it, it's back. And that's kind of the idea of restoration. It's the resetting of a bone. But the second picture that we see in Scripture is mending a net. We see indication of this in, in Mark chapter 1 when uh, the disciples, are before they became disciples, but they were out there fishing and all that stuff, and Jesus goes to them, and their nets had been uh, broken and torn up, and so they're there fixing them. And so that idea of restoration is that, that, that idea of mending uh, the nets. The goal is to what? To, to put them back to a place of healing, put them back on the right path so that they can be used for the kingdom of God again. And so restoring a spiritual bone is hard, right? But it's absolutely necessary. When our brothers and sisters commit sin, the Spirit leads us to come alongside them, to meet them where they are, to begin prying up those particular bars of captivity that they're under, right? And there's a, an amazing process, the process that Jesus communicates in Matthew uh, chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. But notice the first step in verse 15, Matthew 18, 15. The scripture says, if your brother, so this is Jesus speaking, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault, right? So don't air out his dirty laundry, right? But go tell him, uh, between you and him alone, so this is a private conversation, and if he listens to you, what does the scripture say? You have gained your brother, right? So we're not airing out dirty laundry. Listen, when somebody's com- uh, committing a sin or caught in sin, it's easy to gossip. Do you realize that? That takes absolutely no strength whatsoever. That's what comes natural to us, right? It's coming alongside and doing the work of restoration. And what's the point? To gain them, to gain them. The, the word gain there talks about salvation, but really uh, it's also about uh, restoration. And uh, when you think about the woman that was caught in adultery in John chapter 8, and Jesus uh, encounters her, remember she was brought to Jesus, and, and Jesus, Jesus didn't try to destroy her. His desire was to restore. He gave her grace and truth. Where are those who condemn you? Oh, they're gone. Nowhere. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He gives her grace and truth. When James writes about the ministry of restoration, he says this in James chapter 5, verse 19. He says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, again, we all have the capacity of wandering from the truth, right? That's what James is saying here. And someone brings him back. In other words, somebody restores the wanderer. What does the scripture say in verse 20? Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now, this save his soul from death. This is not talking about you can lose your salvation. It's possible that, that when you're living in sin, Jesus will just take you home, right? But the, the other part is when you think about not uh, living for the Lord, you're living in disobedience to the Lord, you're not expressing the fruit of the Spirit. So in other words, uh, your, your, your spiritual life is kind of 
kind of dead, right? You're not reflecting the kingdom of God. You're not reflecting uh, the characteristics of Christ. But when you're brought back, when you're restored, now uh, the fruit of the Spirit begins to manifest itself in your life again. The other thing that it says is that we'll cover a multitude of sins. In other words, it stops the damage from continuing to happen, right? But the reality is every time you and I sin, it doesn't just impact you, right? It impacts everybody around you. So that ripple effect begins to happen. And so when, when somebody comes alongside you, and you confess and repent of your sin and have renewed trust in the gospel, though the consequences may still be there for a lifetime, the ripple effect, that damage begins to stop. And so restoration now begins to happen. That healing begins to happen. And that healing is a process, right? Because it's a process, we need to understand some of the characteristics of the one who restores. What are those characteristics? Well, uh, Paul says, you who are spiritual. You who are spiritual. Now, this is not communicating in any way that there's, a, in the body of Christ, there's a B team, a JV team, and a varsity team, right? Sometimes we segregate ourselves that way. But that's not, that's not what the scripture is teaching us. This idea of you who are spiritual, listen, as a, as a brother and sister in Christ, it doesn't matter if you're saved at five years old or 95 years old, you are gifted with the Spirit of God. So, in a sense, we all have the ability to walk alongside someone in restoration, Right? But the scripture is talking about those who are spiritual. And that makes sense because Paul had already said in verse 16 of Galatians 5 that we are to walk by the Spirit. Verse 18, he says we're to be led by the Spirit. Verse 25, he says we're to keep in step with the Spirit. And so those who come alongside others to help in that restoration process need to be Spirit-led, right? Spirit-led, Spirit-fed, all those different things. And how does that happen? He says in a spirit of gentleness. Listen, it takes a lot of gentleness to come alongside someone and begin to go through the process of restoration. It's a process. And if we're not completely reliant on the Lord, we're, we're not going to be gentle, we're not going to be loving, we're not going to be patient, we're not going to be kind, we're not going to be self-controlled. No, we're going to want vengeance, we're going to want to destroy the person. Listen, those things come natural to us, and, and, and we can get it. I mean, we see heartbreak and hurt all around us because of the sins that are committed. And, and Paul says, in order to bring about the potential of restoration in that person's life, you need to be led by the Spirit. And so we need to be led by the Spirit. There's, a, there's an act of gentleness. That, that word gentle means humble, right? There's a sense of humility when you're going before someone uh, to restore them. And that's why he says that we need to be careful. Listen to what he says at the end of verse 20. He says, keep watch on yourself, lest you to be tempted. Now there's two ways to kind of look at this. Uh, when the scripture says that we need to keep watch of ourselves, lest you to be tempted, uh, one, one, one aspect could be, all right, if you're, if you're walking alongside somebody that has uh, some type of addiction or whatever, uh, if you're not careful, you can, be, you can commit the very same sin that they're, they're doing. It, that's possible. But I think the context is what is teaching us is that what is the greatest temptation that you and I have when a brother or sister is caught in sin? Our greatest temptation is pride, right? We are self-righteous people, Right? At different levels, certain level, we are self-righteous people at our core. And so when you see a brother or sister in Christ uh, get caught in sin or commit sin, oftentimes it's not, how can I help restore them? It's, oh man, you know, look at what they did. I would never do anything like that. In other words, sometimes we have this idea that you made your bed, you sleep in it, right? You got yourself in it, now you're going to have to figure out how to get yourself out of it. The reality is we're not immune to the works of the flesh, none of us, right? So everything that is mentioned in Galatians 5, 19 through 21, we can commit those things and, and far more, far worse, right? And so we do not need to have a spirit of self-righteousness, but that of uh, humility. So we need to be careful. And in fact, Jesus uh, addresses this in, on the Sermon on the Mount. He says in Matthew 7, verse 1, he says, Judge not that you be not judged. Now, this, this is a well-known verse, but very much misunderstood, right? Sometimes we say, ah, you know, don't judge me. You know, you're not supposed to judge anybody. Listen, the reality, we judge things every day, all day, right? 
God has given us a spirit of discernment, right? So we are to judge things. We are to assess things over and over and over again. The issue here is that Jesus is addressing the sin of the heart, the heart of pride, of self-righteousness. In other words, before you make a judgment, right, you need to examine yourself so you will not be overcritical and, and harsh and be manipulative in that judgment. And he, how, would he, how does he address it? He says in verse 5, You hypocrite! First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. In other words, it's a very easy to see the flaws in the people around us and not deal with our own stuff, right? So in order to properly restore someone, the humility is you, you go before them first allowing the Lord to examine you. And that, that way you are, again, spirit-led and humble before them so that you can bring about a place of restoration. We need to be dependent on the Lord. And here's the point. Again, when pride seeps in, even in the process of restoration, we too can stumble. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he what? Lest he fall. So this process of restoration is about humility before the Lord, to be led by the Spirit in a place of gentleness. The second command that we're given is in humility. We are to help carry one another's burdens. Help carry one another's burdens. Again, remember the context. What's the context? Family, right? Family of faith, spiritual family. Uh, it says in verses 2 through 3, so we'll read uh, this and then we'll unpack it. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, then he is nothing. He deceives himself. The word burden is talking about those things in life that cannot be carried on your own. Uh, carrying one another's burdens is less about setting a broken bone and kind of like carrying a stretcher, right? You need a couple people to help carry the stretcher, right? So let's talk about this. First part of verse 2, bear one another's burdens. Uh, the Greek translation is amazing. It says, one another's burdens you shall bear, right? And it's in the active tense again, meaning that continually, con just like restoring is a constant process, this carrying of one another's burdens is a constant process. The assumption is this, we're going to have burdens. That, that should be a news flash for every single one of us, right? Every single one of us within the family of faith will have burdens burdens. Now, burdens come in different shapes and sizes, right? Sometimes those burdens in life are re related to job stress or a death of a loved one, uh, struggles with sin, and that, that would be the immediate context, that, that part of the burden is that the consequences of sin, right? And how do you go about caring for that person? Physical suffering, sickness, divorce, abuse, addiction, financial hardship, family crisis, mental illness, all kinds of forms of uh, oppression, all those different things. Remember what Jesus said in John 16, in this world you will face what? many troubles, right? You will have tribulation, right? Paul says, keep on carrying each other's burdens. We were never created to do life alone, right? Never. So it's important that when you see someone struggling, you remind them, hey, I'm here. You're not here to do it on your own. Remember, our, our relationship with the Lord and our fellowship with the Lord is number one. But secondly, the benefit that we have within the family of God is we have a relationship and fellowship with one another. So we need to be on guard. We need to be alert to see the needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ. So how can we help carry burdens? Just some ideas. Spend time with them, right? Sometimes just spending time with them. Sometimes praying for them. Listening. I think listening is a huge aspect of carrying others' burdens. Show compassion. Sometimes it's a phone call, a text message, a card, an email. You counsel with them. You comfort them. You encourage them. How many of y'all love getting meals when you got a little burden on your plate, right? I'd rather exchange that burden for a steak, right? Let's do that, right? So you come alongside them and you help... Uh, you help encourage them. So we need to have open hearts, open eyes, and open hands, right? That's what the scripture is teaching us. Why is that important? Because it's a command with a promise. Second part of verse 2, and so fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ is the law of love, right? Love God, 
Love your neighbor. Remember, Paul already addressed this in Galatians chapter 5, uh, verses 13 and 14. He says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The Greek says it like this. He says, Let love make you serve one another. So when your love for God is right, guess what? Your love for neighbor will be right. But what stops us from carrying the burdens of others? Specifically, our family of faith. What stops us? It's the same issue. Pride. Pride stops us. Verse 3. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So on one hand, there's self-righteousness. On another hand, there's self-sufficiency, right? Pride says, I don't need help. But pride also says, I'm not going to give you help, right? And that's important. Pride does both of those things. Think about self-sufficiency. Think about how we think that we are supposed to do life on our own. It reminds me of the story of Muhammad Ali. If you all remember Muhammad Ali, he's probably one of or the best boxer ever known, right? And uh, one day he was on an airplane getting ready to take off, and uh, he's sitting there in his seat, and the stewardess walks by and says, you need a buckle before we go. Do your seat buckle. And his response was, Superman don't need no seat buckle, which she replied, Superman don't need a plane, right? Get your seatbelt on, right? And so we have this idea of self-sufficiency. But we also, in that pride, have that, that idea that, that I don't need to help you. Your, your cause is too little for me, right? It reminds me of a story in the book of Nehemiah. In the book of Nehemiah, they're there to rebuild the walls. And something happens in uh, Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 5, uh, where the, the wall was being built. But there was a group of people. The scripture says that they would not stoop down to help. They would not stoop down to lift a finger. And it reminds me, in many ways, of the Pharisees in the New Testament. And how Jesus responded to them in Matthew 23, verse 4. They tie up heavy burdens, talking about the Pharisees, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. You know, some of the hardest Christians to be around are those who have enough Jesus in their life to know right from wrong, but not enough Jesus in their life to meet people where there are and help. It's hard. It's difficult. And that's what that self-sufficiency, self-righteousness does in our lives. People who think they are self-sufficient have no desire to help shoulder the load in other people's lives. And, and if anything, they create more burden in their life, not less. So in humility, help carry one another's burdens. And then the last command is found in verses 4 and 5. And this one is, in humility, take personal responsibility. Take personal responsibility. Verses 4 and 5, and then we'll unpack it. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. So in order to take personal responsibility in your life and in my life as brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to have a humble evaluation of ourselves. Verse 4, again, but let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. Paul says, live in light of God's evaluation of you, not your evaluation compared to your neighbor, right? And, and again, the, the idea here is that the boasting that Paul is talking about is not boasting in what you can do. It's boasting in what Christ is doing in you and through you, right? That's where our ultimate boast is. The very fact that we can do any of this restoration and burden-bearing and carrying the load on people's lives is because of God's work in your life to His glory and for our good. Praise the Lord. Our boast is in Christ, not in ourself. Our boast is in God's grace, not in our very works, right? And so we need to focus on the faithfulness of God in our life. And we need to be reminded that God has gifted us uniquely in, in that realm of restoration and burden-bearing. 
I love what Paul says in uh, Romans two, uh, Romans twelve. Again, again, Romans one and two, or Romans twelve verses one and two talk about the renewal of the mind. Right? Do, do not be uh, conformed to this world, but renewing of your mind. Right? Spiritual act of worship. And then right after that, what is the implication? What is the application? Verse three. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. I love that phrase, measure of faith. Now, what is that talking about? It's talking about how God has uniquely gifted us differently, right? He has gifted us differently. This measure of faith has to do with how has God has uniquely gifted you for his glory and for the good of the body of Christ. These are gifts of God's grace. So instead of spending our time wishing we had somebody else's gift, right? Sometimes we say, well, if I had that, then I would be doing this. No. Say, God, thank you for how you've uniquely gifted me. Lord, let me leverage everything I can to help specifically in restoration and carrying the burdens of others for your glory and for their good. Therefore, we take personal responsibility. Verse 5, for each will have to bear his own load. Now, verse 5 seems like a contradiction to verse 2. Verse 2 said, bear one another's burdens. Now, verse 5 says, each will have to bear his own load. What's happening here? Well, the word uh, burden is different in verse 2 and in verse 5. The word uh, burden in verse 2 is talking about those burdens in life that are just too hard to carry on your own. Uh, however, when we look at verse 5, uh, in verse 5 where it talks about bearing our own load, uh, it, it's the idea of a, a, a backpack, right? I, I wear a backpack every day I come to work for many reasons. One, it holds all my stuff. But, but it also reminds me I have a responsibility to the body of Christ here. And so when I strap that book bag on, I'm reminded I have a responsibility to the body of Christ. And so when we're talking about uh, this carrying a backpack, uh, the scripture would mean it like this. Everyone must carry their own load of responsibility. Do you realize today within the body of Christ, you have a personal responsibility to the body of Christ? You have a personal responsibility. And guess what? We're going to be judged based on what we do or do not do with the gift or gifts that God has given to us within the body of Christ. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. This is not about salvation. This is about reward. So that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So that sheds some light on our responsibility within the body of Christ. That God has given us unique responsibilities within the body of Christ to help restore, to help carry the burdens of others. And this is a reminder that, that, that I need to have that, that examination of self and, and ask myself, am, am I, because of my disobedience, if it be through action or inaction, am I causing more burden on the church, the body of Christ, or am I helping to relieve the burden on the church? And so this is important. This is a reminder to us that not every load is a crisis, right? So there are things in life that we have to carry, Right? that we have a responsibility in. And so my, my goal as, as a brother in Christ is not to do things in my life to cause greater burden on the church. Right? But I also know that when life happens, right, a death of a son, which happened, sickness and job transition and just everything else that happens, who do I know is going to be there? I know the body of Christ is going to be there to help carry the burden of life. But again, I have a personal responsibility to the church. And be reminded, we will be held accountable. Romans 14, 12. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. We will give an account to the Lord. So when we think about gospel community and how the Spirit leads us, the key is what? Humility. 
Humility. Humility puts us in a position of restoration. Humility puts us in a position of bearing the burdens, carrying the burdens of others. And humility puts us in a position to be responsible for what God has given us specifically as individuals. But here's the reality. None of those things are easy, right? I know many are walking through difficult times. You're facing the consequences of somebody else's sin. And that's why the body of Christ is so, so important. Because it's in that moment that I would say it's, it's really not your role to be the restorer, right? You need someone to come alongside you to help the restoration and help the healing process on both parties, right? And so we have to be reminded that we stay alert, we stay on guard, we shepherd the people of God, we love the people of God, we hold everyone accountable, we hold ourselves accountable, but when discipline needs to happen, what's the goal of discipline? The goal of discipline is restoration. What needs to be restored in your life? What is it? What do you see that needs to be restored in somebody else's life? Are you trying to do it on your own? Are you, are you really spending time with the Lord and asking the Lord to give you discernment and power? What about the burden bearing? You know, I know there are many in our church family that are far more apt to help carry a burden than to ask someone to help them carry a burden. Don't, I, my mother-in-law taught me this a long time ago. Don't, don't rob the blessing of someone helping you because of your pride. We're part of the body of Christ. And again, are you taking personal responsibility? At this season of life, right now, are you taking personal responsibility for what God has gifted you for the betterment of the body of Christ and ultimately for the glory of the Lord? Ask Lord, the Lord to give you the spirit, strength, and desire to fulfill whatever that calling is in your life. Maybe you turn into gossip instead of restoration. Confess it, repent of it, Ask the Lord to give you renewed strength in the gospel. Whatever your decision is today, I pray that we acknowledge the evidence of God's faithfulness and how he restores, how he carries our burdens, and how he equips us greatly to carry out the personal responsibilities that we have. Whatever your decision is, please stand as we sing. To the